It's Guild Ball Tonight, your independent source for Guild Ball news, information, and conversation. Episode 45 for September 13th, 2016. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Guild Ball Tonight podcast. I am your host, Phil, and joining me tonight, as you are accustomed to, is our friend Bill. How you doing, Bill? I am doing great. I'm waiting patiently every episode to find out what new way I am joining people. <laughs> you know, one of these days, I'm not going to think of something to say <laughs> in that last second as my brain scrambles to come up with a new way to introduce you. And I'll actually have to start writing these down. But in the meantime, I will tout my mastery of improvisational introductions. So uh, what are we going to do on the show tonight? We are going to talk about uh, the news, because that's a thing that we do. It is a thing we do. It is a thing we do. Uh, more news than last week, that's for sure. Which, you know, which is good. <laughs> because last episode we had literally no news. So, uh, so we got that going for us. Then uh, we got a couple really good interviews for you this episode. First up, we've got an interview with game designer DC who is uh, joining us to talk about Shadow Games, which is coming soon. Uh, A little-known fact about DC. Yeah. He is uh, currently uh, ranked in Guild Ball as of today. Did you know that? I I did not know about that. My my best DC trivia is that he's allergic to Lilith. I I mean, ranked 401 (laughs) in the world. Oh, hey, that that's uh, that's better ranking than I have. Seeing as how that, I have no that ranking is true because you won't play in a tournament that lets me put you into the ranking. I just won't play in a tournament. <laughs> well, I, and, and it's mostly because my my clear correct bases are illegal in tournaments. I don't know what you're talking about, and I think those people are wrong. Prisma for all. <laughs> well, you know, they had a chance to edit the organized play document, and they didn't, which is all I needed to know. So. Uh, <laughs> So we're going to talk about news, we're going to talk to DC, and then we are going to uh, be joined by Bryce Johnston, who is uh, many things, but two of those are a, uh, a member of the Lawyers Guild and a Steamforge game designer, and we are going to talk about both of those aspects of his uh, of, of his life. And so, uh, so after speaking to Bryce at Gen Con, my wife has come back and told me that I cannot say he sounds like a leprechaun. <laughs> Because apparently leprechauns are Irish and he is Scottish. And you can't tell a Scotsman. He sounds like an Irishman. Oh, and, and don't take a Scotsman to a, an authentic um, Scottish bar <laughs> either. Because uh, we still we still hear about that one. So, uh, and then uh, after all that, we are going to do some... Uh, some Twitter questions. Because that is the other thing that we do. So... A uh, good show, I think. Uh, I think summer is gone, is it not? I think uh, this feels like uh, just a normal ah, doing our doing our thing, getting good interviews, talking about stuff, actually having news. This is this is like no more summer show right here. <laughs> you can't tell me I can't talk about stuff and then taunt me. <laughs> yes, I can. All right, so we uh, we got news. So. Uh, first up in the news, we've got hey, some... what's new in the Guild Ball world, Phil? What is new in the Guild Ball world? Well, I think that we can, um, we, we do have permission to talk about pre-orders. 
And um, those are uh, those are up on the website now. So what can you pre-order right now? It's actually quite a few things. So you know how we still have some uh, some of those mascots that we don't have a hold of yet. Um, there are uh, three, four of those up right now for order. You get uh, Mother, Quaff, Vileswarm, and Wrecker. Those are all going to be released on September twenty seventh. Now, now you already have Wrecker. I've seen him on a clear resin, ba- on a clear uh, acrylic base. Well, yes, those those of us who were able to get the Gen Con did have an early swing at the uh, at the mascots, and I have painted I think four of them at this point. Although not not this group because I have not painted Vileswarm, but I have painted uh, Quaff and Wrecker. And let's not forget a bunch of people that went to Millennium Games this weekend got a hold of them too. Yeah. Well, there you go. So there's they're out there in, in places. Uh, then we also get our first shot at some of the veteran uh, players. Uh, first up is going to be Graves, who is also going to be released with those mascots on September 22nd. 27th, rather. 7th, yeah. Yep. And then uh, following that, uh, a couple weeks later, you're going to get uh, Veteran Siren and Veteran Velocity on... October 18th. So now you know what October 18th is. It's it's another very special day. Um it's um the halfway point to Halloween. I don't know what is it. It's 3 days after the fall brawl. Oh, there you go. So we will so, know That's right. The fall brawl when when uh, people siren goes up for uh, <laughs> right when when those ship out. Exactly. Well, you know who maybe whoever wins the fall brawl can use their credit. <laughs> on a uh, veteran side. There you go. See, that would be perfect. So now, originally, we were going to be seeing Shadow Games, I think, on that same uh, October 18th date or uh, close to it. I forgot what the original date was. But the fact that I've said the original date uh, does give away the lead that the, the release date for Shadow Games has changed. And I believe that this is something that uh, when you listen to our interview with DC... Uh, we state the the original date, so um, I'm obviously not going to go in and try to do uh, voiceover work to change <laughs> to change no, when he says gonna... the game comes out. So I'm just sure. know that that was the old date. The new date is actually November eighth, and that was a manufacturing issue. Uh, you know, one of those beyond our control sort of things, but didn't slip far, and is still coming out before uh, SteamCon. So, uh, let's see. And then, uh, so that, that really covers our release, uh, release situation. And, um, I guess we will have some more, uh, some more veterans in, uh, you know, next month, hopefully. And then yeah. we, can, we can work our way through those. Cause I'm, I'm looking forward to getting those models. Even, even the ones that I'm not, uh, antsy to play. They're just really nice models. I'm really looking forward to painting them. Well, I mean, uh, once this once these three come out, we're um, we're pretty well on our way, right? I mean that that puts us really? at four veterans out out of the out of the what seven that are coming? Eight, eight. Yeah, because yeah, veteran Cause maths are hard. Was, or uh, veteran rage rather, right? Was veteran a captain rage. and a veteran. Yep. But there are. Uh, yeah, it puts us halfway through. Eight of each, but he counts as one of each. So, yep. 
Yeah, right. Puts us halfway through. So, yeah. so uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I'm really. I mean, veteran velocity is just so cool. I'm looking forward to to seeing her model. I did not yeah. pick one up at Gen Con. Well, they didn't have her at Gen Con. They just which had, would be why I didn't pick yeah, her. Yeah, exactly. And but Russ was Russ was <laughs> sneakily showing off uh, some of these veteran sculpts at Gen Con. So did have an opportunity to see the render then, which was uh, slightly before it was revealed on the the pre order, and it's just a really cool figure. Uh, veteran Siren also, I'm looking forward to painting. I mean, the the original Siren is such a nice piece to paint, but the the new one looks like it will be uh, uh, a very nice model as well. And do you, uh, do you foresee a lot of people using their veteran models interchangeably, just swapping the cards out? Well, obviously, you're not going to be able to do that in in organized play, but I. I I, I suspect there will be a cluster of people who who have a preference for one model or the other and do counts as and casual. And I also think that there may be some people out there who never buy the the veteran and just print just the card. Download the card, yeah. And simply use the old model. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to encounter a, a level of either of those. Yeah, I was specifically thinking about, I've heard a lot of uh, my local group has been uh, negatively commenting on No Neck Harmony, and uh, I'm, I, I, I will be interested to see when her vet model comes out, if yeah. she uh, if, if she hits play more often with that model than, uh, than not. Well, I but, suspect uh, just based on rules, she'll see, she'll see more plays. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, veteran Siren's another one. I, as much as I, I like the Siren model, I think... The uh, veteran model looks really cool, and I could see people just putting yeah. her out on the table instead. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, I'm, I'm obviously I'm looking forward to to any model I can get a hold of because I just like to paint guild ball models. But you know, if you would commission for other people, yeah, I could get a you'd have lot lots faster. of models to paint. I wouldn't still be working on hunters. <laughs> I mean, granted, you would never send their models back and claim right. them as your own, but uh... Right. you know, I've got. Just, just by luck of the draw, I ended up painting Jakar and Zarola at about the same time, and never really realized that they're in exactly the same pose. Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting combo of models to work on. So, uh, all right. So, other news items. There is actually a Kickstarter that I think that. Are you Gil sure you Ball got the right fans. show? Yeah, I know. Normally, I talk about Kickstarters on that other show that I do. One of those other shows that I do or have it, don't do as this month may prove to be by the time we're done. But uh, there is a Kickstarter out there. So if you go to Kickstarter and you search for Hidden Forest Terrain for Guild Ball and War Machine Mark III, whatever that is, um, you will find a Kickstarter that has seven days to go as of this recording, six days to go as of the release of this episode. So hopefully you don't listen to this episode, uh, late too late. And if you do, maybe this, maybe they'll have a late order option as many Kickstarters do these days. But for people who like, uh, two dimensional terrain, and I mean, there are a lot of people out there that like. 2D terrain because it it travels well and because it 
uh, you know, it stays out of the way of your models and, and your gauges and all that kind of stuff when you're actually playing the game. I mean, uh, good arguments can be made for 2D terrain, even if I, as we now know, <laughs> am a fan of diorama terrain. I will even admit that uh, I use the the broken egg rough ground quite a bit because rough ground can just be 2D, right? Um. So this is uh, Hidden Forest. They've done uh, a number of Kickstarters for terrain and gaming mats. And I know, Bill, you've got some of their previous offerings, correct? Yep. I actually have some of their previous uh, War Machine terrain, mm -hmm. which is nice. And uh, I have one of their new Guild Ball mats right. that so, just released. Yeah. So uh, this is the, the neoprene mouse pad material stuff. Uh, really durable, really nice printing. Yeah, this is this is good quality stuff, and it's not going to cost you an arm and a leg. And so for a uh, a thirty dollar pledge, and I think four or five dollars of shipping if you're in the U.S. A little more if you're elsewhere. Uh, you actually get a pretty nice uh, set. So for that thirty dollars, you get three rough ground, three fast ground, eleven obstructions, three barriers, and two forests. That's you know for thirty dollars. To have every piece of terrain that you would need for a tournament game of Guild Ball. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, not just every piece of terrain you would need. There's you can, enough. You can do two tables with that. Yeah. yeah. Two to two, two to three. three tables, I mean, absolutely. So yeah, it, it's it's a good deal on 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 good product that uh, one of us uses and one of us has admired. So uh, if you are looking for some terrain or you know want to upgrade or side grade into uh you know very super portable terrain for travel or whatever uh take a look at this over on kickstarter uh, like i said you know it's only going to be about a week left i mean it's a, it's a funded campaign so it's going to happen for certain and hidden forest has been pretty good they'll sell their stuff afterwards i know um he's just gotten his mats shipped out and up um up and running mm -hmm. So, and, you know, from a 2D terrain and from a mat standpoint, um, I, I would be remiss to, to not also point out there's this Kickstarter and Hidden Forest has been great, so you can order from them. Broken Egg has been mm -hmm. incredibly supportive of Guild Ball. Yes, they have. Um, incredible product, supportive. also very nice. I've, I've got and used yeah. uh, Broken Egg stuff, and I can, I can tell you that it is... It is it is uh, very nice as well. So definitely options out there for uh, flat uh, flat neoprene terrain. Which if you're gonna do anything with with flat anything in gaming, that neoprene stuff, as we all know from the Guild Ball mat, is the way to go because it is indestructible and uh, very practical. So all right, so I think that's news. I, I can't think of anything else I want to talk about. How about you? No, I, well, you know, you know, you might have a tournament though. The fall brawl is coming up on October fifteenth, yes, and uh, we are quickly nearing the uh, quickly nearing the thirty-two man point, which makes it bigger than the spring fling. It also means that it it uh, the minute we hit thirty-two, we're the biggest tournament in the U.S. single tournament, right? Uh, and only a couple of players away from being the largest, i.e topping the combined gen con tournament right right um there's room for 64 there and if we can hit 50 players 
we will have topped the 49 combined players at Gen Con. Yeah. So, uh, more power to you, my friend. It's going to be a good couple of days. I will say that. Um, We have some great sponsors. Uh, Mats by Mars and Broken Egg are both sponsoring. Mm -hmm. Uh, Steam Forged has sent over a good good pack. And uh, the Pundit Kit is making its way down this way. Um, Huzzah Hobbies locally is the one giving us space for 64. And uh, I'm really hoping to see some of the other other areas come in um you know there's some good hotels right nearby and a lot of, it's drivable from a lot of those a lot yeah. of those groups in uh, the and, carolinas and, and philadelphia in and 10 Kentucky. minutes from the airport if somebody's yeah. got to fly so it's um yeah. it's a little impractical for me but it's practical for everybody else <laughs> yeah so otherwise so, i would be there if i was it in between like literally right in between two other trips that i have to make so <laughs> so trying to think of the only oh you know we 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 should mention um for those who who are into rankings not just for points but to point and giggle at people um (laughs) our our friend (laughs) hey that's what i do all the time when i see these names crawl up and down our friend jordan knock yeah uh as of this last weekend has moved into the uh Moved into the top five in the world. Very um, nice. The Black Orifice rankings, which is the first time that seems we have for the U.S. champion. Well, I, and it's it's especially nice because it's the first time a U.S. Um, a U.S. player yeah has bumped up into that top level. Uh, we just don't have that many six and seven round tournaments in the U.S. Right, so it's, it's hard to get the points. Yeah, and in Gen Con. Um, you know, winning the U.S. Cha- national championship gave him the points where he's uh, he's definitely up in that rarefied air. So good to point and giggle at, along with you know the Newtons and and <laughs> some of those other UK guys. <laughs> Very good. Well, I will. I don't know that I will point and giggle, but I will uh, be sure to congratulate him on his achievement. Yeah. All right, so why don't we go ahead and uh, check in with uh, DC and with Bryce, and uh, Bill and I will be back for Twitter questions right on the other side. So tonight we are lucky enough to have with us uh, a new a new voice on the show, and that is uh, DC, who was the uh, the designer of uh, the new Shadow Games uh, card game, which is coming out very shortly from Steamforge. So, uh, mm-hmm. welcome to the show. Do you see how you're doing? I'm doing pretty well, Phil. Thanks for having me on. Oh yeah, you know it was. Uh, I had so much fun watching people play Shadow Games at Gen Con, um, and I know Bill had just a blast playing it, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Really wanted to get to get you on and uh, and to talk about talk about this really this really cool new game both because it's a really cool game and because it's you know it's a little bit of a of a new uh, a new direction for for Steamforged and the Guild Ball world so we're excited yep. about it for so many reasons so why don't we go ahead and for people who who maybe don't know who you are from some of your past affiliations and efforts. Why don't you go ahead and just give us the, uh, a quick, uh, introduction to yourself. Well, I have been, one might say dabbling in the game industry since about the very tail end of the nineties. So 
coming up on almost 20 years now uh, doing contract work for some local guys and some of the bigger guys that people have heard of, um, but hadn't really made it my full-time profession until we got around to 2008 when I hired on at Privateer Press, and I was the development manager there for seven years approximately, and for the past couple of years, I've been doing the independent thing again. Uh, did some work with Ninja Division, did a little more work with Privateer Press, but uh, in an independent capacity. And then uh, more recently, I've been doing a lot with Steamforged Games, the first one of which was Shadow Games, but also then working on Dark Souls stuff for Dark Souls, the board game. And now most recently doing a little bit of work on Guild Ball as well, starting with the Farmers. Oh, very cool. Very cool. So what was the... Uh, what what was it that made you want to make Shadow Games as a, uh, as a, as a game itself? You know, was there a... Was there a desire to to do something uh, specific with Steamforged or did it come to you as a, as an existing idea? Did you help create it? What was the, the background there? Well, I guess it really started at War Machine Weekend in 2015. Mm -hmm. um, I had a demo of Guild Ball with Matt and people had talked me into trying out Guild Ball and chatting with the Steamforged guys. And if I'm being perfectly honest, I uh, went in with fairly low expectations. I've tried quite a few various sports miniatures games over the years uh, and honestly was not a big fan. So I was hesitant. And when I played through that demo, though, it immediately changed my mind. Uh, I was really drawn in by some of the mechanics they use, the way the momentum system works, even simple things like the unique identity of all the different guilds. Mm -hmm. So uh, we had a great talk about a lot of things and started chatting about ways we might be able to work together uh, in doing some sort of contract work for them. And I, I pitched a card game that was in the guild ball world and matt and rich already had an idea for a card game that was in the guild ball world and we just started kind of th throwing around ideas for the possibilities of which of these games we should make first and that direction it would take and how to really expand the world and the one we decided we wanted to pursue most aggressively was what is now known as shadow games okay okay and Shadow Games is a fairly small box game, uh, quick to play, quick to learn, very accessible, uh, and it's kind of in the same spirit as other games like that. They're the ones that anyone can pick up and you can introduce them to this new sort of world. Um, like if you think about Coup, mm -hmm. where it's a fairly simple game, you can introduce people to this thing, and then maybe later you get them to play The Resistance or... Uh, other card games in that sort of vein or genre um, or something like Love Letter uh, right. where you've got this this cute little game that's so easy to take with you and so easy to teach people to play and it's got kind of these social elements and deductive elements and these games that uh, are great introductions to something, something more, whether that's uh, the world that those games are based in, especially now that they have Love Letter and so many different flavors, um, or it can be just two different types of gaming. Uh, like uh, my wife's family 
traditionally plays more classic board games, family board games, um, but you can introduce them to some of those types of games. Uh, and that's the type of product we wanted for the Guild Ball world so that anyone can get their introduction to these various guilds and their underhanded dealings and how that then turns into this blood, bloody game of Guild Ball. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I do like the... I, I do like the the concept, uh, the um, sort of union uh, dealings concept, married mm-hmm. with married with a bluffing game. I think that that is a that is a really a perfect match. And uh, you know, it's funny because you, that you mentioned the uh, both coup and love letter because that's that's sort of like when people ask me what shadow games is like. I'm kind of like, well, have you played coup or love letter? It's like it's. <laughs> slightly more interesting version of that those are like the two games that i that i mm. pretty much immediately come to in, in describing it because uh, i mean you know bluffing games are you know they are a popular genre right now bluffing and guessing games yeah yeah with those games then things like sheriff of nottingham and other games yep yeah another great one yeah and you know they, it's a it's a genre that my uh, board gaming group, which is separate from my my guild ball group, is pretty much addicted to. So I'm looking forward to bringing shadow games to to that group, who mm-hmm. thus far have not expressed a lot of interest in miniatures gaming, right? And being able to being able to sort of uh, maybe uh, get some. Uh, some clandestine guild ball interest uh, going that way. <laughs> right, right. But I think that is one of the one of the strengths here is that you know this is a game that is not uh, married to the guild ball community or limited to or by the guild ball community. Sure, yeah. And so, what uh, you know, what kinds of things did you do in? In conceiving it and in developing it to to sort of keep in mind the the, the bigger picture beyond just uh, uh, presenting the the themes and characters that Gilball players would love. Yeah, I think really the two core essences of what we wanted to accomplish were that introduction to Gilball and then that type of game where you're trying to read the other people at the table. Uh, I personally have played a lot of werewolf, uh, also sometimes called mafia where you, mm-hmm. you sit around in a circle and really the whole game is figuring out who's lying, when they're lying, when they're telling the truth, who you can trust, who you can't. And those kind of experiences just really lend themselves to some fun moments around the table. Right. And that was something we definitely wanted to build in. We wanted to be able to have it be an experience for more people uh, typically a game of Guild Ball, you're playing one-on-one, which is a great type of gaming experience to have. But also sometimes you want to play with four to six folks around the kitchen table or around the living room playing something that involves more people and has people interacting more directly with their opponents uh, as a, a different sort of expression right. of your gaming uh, gameplay. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the... Uh... You know, I don't think that uh, we, we, we want to turn this into a tutorial on the game, so we're not going to dig too deep into the, the minutiae of the rules, but I think that what would be interesting would be to hear some of the 
some of the aspects of gameplay with which you are particularly, if not proud, at least um, content with. You know, what were some of the what were some of the design ideas that that make that made you the most satisfied as a designer? Well, I think uh, one of the big things that we hit on fairly early in the process, uh, we being Matt and Rich and I, because uh, as I mentioned briefly, they already kind of had an idea that they wanted something like this. And then so we worked together on uh, nailing down the basic design of the game before I took it into development of hashing out the individual cards and the individual card text and so forth. Um, but they really wanted to have a mechanic where you can play any card you have as any card in the game. Mm -hmm. um, so you'll note that the player dashboards are an important part of the game because on them it lists all 10 of the card effects. So you can claim that the card you're playing face down is any one of these 10 cards. Mm -hmm. And maybe it is, <laughs> but maybe it isn't. Often it isn't, yes. <laughs> Often it isn't. Uh, and then if people call you on that, it's it's very risk-reward sort of situation. So if they correctly call you on your bluff, they get resources from you, uh, these favor cubes. Mm -hmm. um, but if they call you and they're wrong, you still get the effects of the card and you also get to steal their favor. So it's definitely risky to call people's bluffs, but it's also very rewarding and vice versa. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the other things that we added a bit later in the process after we were in a bit of the ways into development and starting to nail down some of the details of the game uh, was that we chose to add a bluff bonus to each of the cards so that if you used that card as some other card, you also get a bluff bonus for it. Mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of these kind of socially games that have deduction elements, you can play through the entire game and sometimes not even feel like bluffing at all. Right. Like there isn't really too much of a point sometimes in bothering to lie. I think right. you brought up Sheriff of Nottingham and I think they do a great job of forcing you to make some ch decisions sometimes that might not be the most honest ones because mm -hmm. you've got cards in your hand that you need to uh, get rid of. Uh, and it's the same sort of thing in, in theory, if not in practice where each of the 10 different types of cards has its own bluff bonus. Mm -hmm. And so potentially you can get a huge bonus from using a card as a particular card while gaining the bluff bonus of a different card that wouldn't potentially have helped you as much if you played it as the card it was. Like, <laughs> I think it, the point is coming across. It's a bit of a logical loop mm -hmm. and you kind of figure out, okay, how can I make the most advantage of the situation while not giving up to my opponents that I'm actually bluffing right now. Sure, sure. Well, and that that is that kind of leads into a question I did want to ask because while I do I do think that the the bluff advantage rule is very cool because I do like that little that little kick that uh, does encourage people to mm -hmm. to bluff. One of the things that one of the things that I've always done with these bluffing games and uh, is to, you know, my default position in bluffing games is to tell the truth. Right. And it becomes a game of chicken with my group who knows that I always tell the truth except when I don't. <laughs> right, sure. And 
But by that same token, there are entire games where I simply don't lie. Um, Coup is one where I particularly, I never lie. Yeah. And they just refuse to accept that I never lie. Um, yeah, and Coup is things, definitely one where you don't have to lie right. to do well. Right, exactly, exactly. Like, I've lost a lot of games of Sheriff of Nottingham trying not to lie, but I don't always <laughs> lose games of Coup not lying. Right. So one of the uh, one of the questions that I've always kind of wanted to ask somebody behind a bluffing game is why why is there not a mechanic in the game that uh, that creates game states wherein you are mechanically required to lie? Um, there's yeah, there's definitely not any particular situation where you are mechanically required to lie. And I think some of that is because there are people out there who would have less fun with the game if they were forced okay. into lying. Um, but depending on what your hand is, not lying might be just a terrible play. <laughs> like you, you got to leave enough choice in the hands of the players so that there's meaningful decisions to be made. Cause we've all played games where you're not really making a whole lot of decisions that matter. You're just kind of going through the motions of what the game mechanics tell you to do. Yeah. Uh, and we definitely wanted to avoid that. We wanted to leave plenty of player choice in, uh, how you try to win. Do you try to set up a situation where you can protect yourself for a turn and then pull off some big combo? Do you just plain lie like crazy? Uh, and then once people expect you to lie, flip, flip the switch and start telling the truth to get their cubes back away from them. Uh, there's different ways you can try to play the game, try to gain an advantage over your buddies. And we wanted to leave all of those as possible avenues, uh, including the tell the truth all the time until you really need to uh, bluff to get a particular bonus and get that edge to win the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like I like that answer. I never uh, I've never had anybody tell me it's because it takes a choice away, which I think is the the best answer that uh, that anybody could give to that question. <laughs> so I like that. All right. So what uh, what is it that uh, you would tell somebody who is playing shadow games who maybe wants to come out of the gate with this brand new game with a with an edge what is one tactics tip that you can that you can give uh the people who uh listen to the show that would not be in the quiver of people who do not well i think one of the best things to do is that you don't want to jump right away for bluffing with the most powerful card, the most obvious card. If you call your card something fairly innocuous, uh, like for example, the card wheeling and dealing uh, is not a very powerful card. So people are less incentivized to bluff that they're playing wheeling and dealing. Mm -hmm. You can use something like that to gain its bluff bonus more easily than if you claim one of the most powerful cards like that lets you steal someone's favor that's when people are going to be most suspicious sure, uh, sure then of course once you've played a bunch of times people get suspicious of that <laughs> and less suspicious of the other i mean it's all a great big uh learn to read your friends right, sort of right. experience eventually well and at the end of the day what one thing i love about this kind of game is that 
a I think a well designed bluffing game has mechanics that get out of the way of playing your friends. Right. And I do think Shadow Games has done an excellent job of of accomplishing that. I mean, as you said, it's a very simple game. There's only what, like ten cards. There's three cubes. There's uh, th- there's not much there that you that you have to uh, that will distract you from just trying to remember who you're playing with and what they like to do. Right. <laughs> yeah. The different types of components are fairly slim um ten different types of cards in the deck uh just three different colors of favor cubes um but the way all of that comes together uh and then like you said learning your friends as much as you're learning the game Mm -hmm. one of the things that really stands out for me with with game design in general but for shadow games specifically is when you get to those moments that you can tell people around the table have forgotten their playtesting. They are just so immersed and having so much fun with the game that they're they're no longer in work mode. Right. Uh, I can't let myself slip out because of work <laughs> mode because I've got to be paying attention to the interaction. Oh, come on. Now and then clarity, you can do it. But yeah, sometimes it does happen, I admit. Um, but those moments where people just get so into it, like, they know you're lying. I'm sure of it. (laughs) Are you sure? Do you really not believe me? Do I have to flip this over? And like, just to see people get that immersed, uh, (laughs) and then to the point where we're not even doing work, we're just kind of relaxing one evening and people are like, Oh, Hey, do you have that shadow game stuff available? Can we just play some games for fun? Like, it's such a good, uh, sign and such a good feeling to have, that sort of game that people are enjoying so much in the playtest process that they just want to play it. Yep. 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 So do you like to play this kind of game most against uh, people you do know or people you don't know? Uh, I'm afraid I'm going to have to cop out and say both <laughs> uh, because I love to play against the people I know, yeah. uh, especially in like kind of that nice relaxed sort of atmosphere and maybe with a couple of drinks and that sort of thing. But uh, you can just get such a cool experience from interacting with those same people that you you know and enjoy gaming with with a game like this. But at the same time, playing with new people is a whole new sort of exciting learning experience. Even just at the demo tables at Gen Con, I would start seeing like the way people were looking when they were doing different things and how they would interact and who they would call, who they wouldn't call, who they could trust, who I would need to get on my side to get a bluff through to convince someone else. Uh, Like all of that learning experience to me is so much fun. So I I love playing with new groups as well. Very good. Yeah, I think um, I I will be less diplomatic and just say that I really like to to mess with my friend Mark. Uh, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that that's uh, that's the value of uh, friends like that. So, all right. Well, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for making a really cool game and. Uh, I, uh, I look forward to it uh, making out there. I know that it's under pre-order at the moment, which yep, means people that... can pre-order it on the store on the Steamforge website already. Yep. Yep. And so we should have it. We should have it shortly. And uh, I am looking forward to it, as I know uh, 
many, many of us are. So thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on to the show, DC. We, uh, we appreciate you uh, giving us some of your time. Well, thank you very much for having me, Phil, and sure. I hope that you enjoy it and that you're able to introduce some whole new groups to the Guild Ball world. Uh, and I hope that you'll have me back sometime to talk about maybe some Dark Souls or some yeah. Farmers or who knows what. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I think uh, I think now that you have you have made that statement, we can make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, Thanks. my friend. Thanks. All right, so the next guest on the on the the really big show tonight is uh, Bryce Johnston, who uh, is a what are you now? You are now a designer for yeah. Steamforged Games, but in a previous life, you were uh, the uh, the uh, Lawyers Guild uh, honcho over there. Yeah, the the lieutenant, the, the, the guy lieutenant, exactly. Yeah, the guy that runs stuff. <laughs> I still do that, to be fair. True, true. Yeah. And uh, so you are a uh, you are a member of the the Steamforge team who has not managed to get onto the show yet. But that's not because uh, I haven't wanted to. It's just because, uh, well, the summer. We're just going to blame everything on the summer if if we... uh, if people haven't picked that up yet. Okay, we'll be just blaming everything on the summer. We'll just blame we'll everything on the summer schedule issues, uh, microphone issues, uh, weather, um, me being feckless. It's all the summer's fault. So, uh, so Bryce, uh, welcome to the show. (laughs) Hello. Damn you summer. (laughs) Exactly. So what, uh, what was it like or what is it like doing, uh, being a, being a member of the Lawyers Guild, is it, in fact, as we, we have been told, the most bankless job in Guild Ball? Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's certainly up there. Um, it's, no, it's, it's all right. Like, it's actually really interesting because from a certain point of view, actually, no, not even from a certain point of view, just in general, you get questions on there that you genuinely sort of look at and go, huh. I never thought of that in a million years. How? What sort of? But then the flip side of that is you're going. What sort of mind <laughs> looks at this rule and goes, "I'm going to break this. Yes. I'm does away. I'm going to break this." Right, right, right. Um, but I mean, definitely, like the the Lawyers Guild is really cool because I know for a fact there are certain things that have gone into rule books and have gone onto model cards and have changed rule wordings because of things that have come up on the Lawyers Guild and the and the rules forum and we've gone, huh, okay, yeah, maybe this could be worded differently. Um, but yeah, we don't get much of a thanks in person, generally. <laughs> uh, well, it's because you break people's hearts. <laughs> yeah, we do. I keep, I mean, I, I do it deliberately. Like, I know, I know. I well. just hate people. <laughs> That's mostly the reason I, I volunteered to do the job. Understood, like, understood. Yeah. So what uh, what 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 is the the interplay sort of between the the lawyers and the designers? I mean, you've certainly been on both sides of that coin. You know, with, is there a uh, is there a lot of uh, rules discussions and changes that happen as a result of the the rulings that you're forced to make on a regular basis, or? Uh, is the is the lawyers guild more 
uh, back looking than forward looking and, and just sort of concentrating on the the rules as written for the time being um, well Tunic's we sort of look both backwards and go and we look at rules as written and go right how do we apply this but especially since now I'm on the design team there's a bit more freedom to actually look at things and go well hold on just because this is how it's worded is that the intent? Is this how it's supposed to work? Um, is this something we need to look at in future? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something that, as as I've said, like we have made changes in uh, season two, in the season two rulebook even, and then going forward into season three because of things that have come up on on the rules forum. Mm-hmm. Um, but internally, and particularly before I got on the design team, we would basically all chat we basically talk amongst ourselves like me and Steve originally and then we added Tim and uh, Deno and Alex and uh, we would all just chat sort of amongst ourselves try and figure out what the rules interaction was and then if we couldn't figure it out we'd take it to Jamie and if Jamie didn't know he'd take it to Matt <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it was just kind of going up the chain until someone figured out what was supposed right. to happen uh, I'd, lo- I'd love never- to get a list of the questions that ended up with Matt that would be those are probably the best questions. Yeah. If they had Matt, to go through that many layers of, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Matt got all the fun ones. Yeah. Uh, we got all the kind of the sensible, well, <laughs> let's look at the world thing for five, for 15 minutes until we figure out how this works. Matt got all the really interesting ones. There you go. Um, but no, well, I guess you had them like, first. I mean, if that means anything. A what, sorry? You had them first, obviously. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes me feel a little better, I guess. There you go. You just didn't get the glory <laughs> of making the decision. Yeah, it's cool. Like, it is cool now, though, where you are... It's a weird sort of powers. It's sort of not really the right word, but you are sort of reading... You know, you're reading a question, and you're sort of trying to work out how that works, and then, like, there was a ruling quite recently where we sort of all just decided that rules as written it probably could have gone one way but with the balance level and the power level of it we were all more comfortable if it went the other way mm-hmm. um, particularly now on the design team it's a lot easier to just sort of make that call and go right we're doing it like this mm-hmm. Although, I mean, I say I make that call like I run it past Jamie and stuff you know sure. um, I run it past the rest of the design team it's not just me but it means I have a lot more. We have a lot more latitude to sort of bring solutions like that up, um, which is, uh, I think, a very natural evolution of the Lawyers Scale and something that's it's been a very good development, and that we have a little bit more latitude. And certainly now, the Lawyers Guild has expanded out from just doing essentially like rules forum stuff to we've got Lawyers Guild members now like proofing new rule books and stuff that are coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, which is obviously because cause of our mindset and the lawyers get out of the sort of precision reading and stuff, that's a very good thing to have on board as well. Oh, absolutely. Kind of yeah. pre-anticipate, although that's redundant. Anticipate <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the places in the rules where the, where the people will, uh, will Heck break hope. them. So. So, what percentage of rules questions that that end up in the in the lawyers guild are uh, genuine confusion versus deliberate attempts to break the rules? Oh, it's probably I mean ninety ninety five to five ten percent. Like the vast vast majority of questions that come up are 
people genuinely just asking how how something works, and that's why we have the collected clarifications thread. Although I'm pretty sure people don't read it, um, <laughs> but some of us do. Yeah, oh, thank you, Phil. Right. I'm glad some of you do. It's it's you know it's but, important to you. It's important to me. Yeah, I've met the one person now who does. That's nice. <laughs> apart, apart from me. <laughs> Um, but you know, so so like we've got the collective clarifications, and honest to God, most questions that come up can be answered with reference to that thread. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and it's very few. There are perhaps maybe, as I say, maybe five ten percent of people who are who do. I reckon. Well, I don't know. It may it, a lot of them are maybe the situations come up in one game of the hundreds of or, I don't know tens of thousands of games of Guild Ball that have been played. And it's come up in this one game, or someone's read read the rule and kind of deliberately tried to think about how they can mm. how they sort of abuse it, which I'm a little bit worried about because that's literally my job uh, <laughs> is looking at rules and thinking about how how they could be broken. <laughs> um, well, if there's anything the internet is good at, yeah, it is finding corner cases. Yeah. So. That's, I mean, that's the thing. That's that's a very useful thing. As I've said, like we've we've made rules changes based on that, which is really cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so in in the uh, in all this time, is there like a a, a, a particular question that you uh, just will never forget because it was just such a great or interesting question? Oh, the one, the one I will never forget, and this was a, this was a genuinely great question. Was if Siren attacks. No, what was it? If Siren attacks other Siren, and uses seduced on other. No, is it? Yeah, seduced on other Siren, and then makes that Siren make an attack, and then <laughs> that Siren makes an attack. Can that Siren then do seduced? And what happens with that? Sedu- like, who's friendly to who, and who's enemy to who in that interaction? Well, that is turtles all the way down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's turtles all the way down. I think that that was one I literally just I brought it up on screen and I was about it was probably about ten o'clock at night. I brought it up on screen. And I was like, okay, let's let's have a look at this. And I stared at it for a full five minutes yeah. and then just closed my closed my laptop. <laughs> I was like, no, no, not I'm tonight. not. I'll deal with that tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And is there a is there a question that you never want to answer again? Uh oh, there's there's a lot that show up. All the time, yeah. Um, although people have been getting better about those actually recently. Yeah. Um, can the one you get a lot is uh, can caught in a net be cleared with momentum? Mm. That one comes up a lot because people are like, "This doesn't seem fair that I might my, my entire team is minus four move." Can can I can I clear this? And we have to tell them no every time. I'm afraid. Yeah, but, I can imagine. I can imagine all of the non condition. Debuffs yeah. probably come up in that same category, you know, blind and and yeah. heavy burden and all of those. Probably is it's just sort of yeah. a category of question. That's that's a very common one. But I mean, I I think that's more wishful thinking than anything else. <laughs> There's got to be a way. Yeah, some someone's been gotten stringed and uh, mm-hmm. had the shark legendary on them, and they're just like this. This can't be right. No, no, no that's what they do. Yeah, that's why we so don't like the fish. But if you get to them, you break them in half quite easily. So <laughs> true. Uh, true. I do like clean fish, though. What? So, uh, so let's go ahead and start talking a little bit more about what you're doing uh, more recently. With uh, now that you are a 
uh, an, an actual uh, Steamforge games designer. Mm-hmm. So, you can just say that more, that would be great. Like, uh, <laughs> makes me gives me a lot of storage of pride, everything that happens. Hey, you know, we, uh, we're all a little bit jealous. I can promise you that. So, <laughs> uh, so what games are you working on? Are you working on, uh, well, that you can tell us about anyway? Uh, well, recent, well, about when I started working for the company, I started working in, God, April, May? Mm-hmm. Sometime around then, some, some months ago. Uh, it was that was just after the Dark Souls Kickstarter, so that was kind of all hands on deck for Dark Souls at that point. So I was working on Dark Souls for about probably a couple of months, month mm-hmm. and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after that, uh, once the because like once the bulk of the sort of initial work was done for Dark Souls, um, which my part was mostly just filling in spreadsheets. Uh, turns out making a board game is not actually that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> No, so, don't say that. I'm so sorry. It's it's literally just my girlfriend got me a mug as a joke that just said I love spreadsheets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I I loathe spreadsheets, but um, yeah. So I was mostly working on Dark Souls, um, just very early design work on that. But then for the last sort of month, month and a half, two months even, I've been working on the two player starter set mm-hmm. that is coming out in uh, later this year. And uh, I've also been working, it sort of ties into that to an extent, I've also been working on uh, Season 3 of Guild Ball and the Farmers Guild, mm-hmm. uh, who are super fun. And I'm very excited because uh, I actually grew up on a farm. <laughs> uh, so like, right. I, I live on a farm, I, still, I, uh, I live on a farm at the moment, um, but I'm moving to Stockport in about a week's time. Right. Well, uh, when when the uh, the Inner City Stereotypes Guild uh, is released, I will uh, I will be able to have a similar amount of pride. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually, I'll be honest, I'm actually so excited because uh, one of the farmers is going to look like my dad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> was that a coincidence or something? No, that was that's because when uh, this was because we found out, I found out about the Farmers Guild was happening. Um, Oh, back before season two was released, mm-hmm. um, like a long, long time ago. That's been in the pipeline for a while. And uh, I, I, Matt, I told Max, I, 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 this was just after I started working for. I wasn't even a designer. I was literally just someone that they hired because I could, I could write words effectively. <laughs> um, and I told Matt that uh, my dad, like I was a farmer, my dad was a farmer, and Matt's like, right, we'll get your dad on the team. <laughs> Well, that's so, uh, really cool. And we sent, took some pictures of my dad, sent them away, and he's he's going to be a Farmers Guild model. So I'm I'm very excited by that. That is that is really cool. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Yeah. So is it uh, is it fun to uh, to work on a game that you uh, previously played for fun? Uh, it is no, it, it is. It's very very cool getting to it because I think everyone. Who's ever played a game in the world has gone? Well, I do that better. I do that. I do that differently. And it's well, kind of- I, I've said I would do it differently, but I I have no illusions that I would do it better. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I'm just a little bit more arrogant. <laughs> Excellent. No. Uh, so it's uh, is it does it does it detract from your experience of actually playing the game at the end of the day? It doesn't detract it's odd it doesn't detract so much as it makes it very different because it's quite hard to turn off to an extent mm-hmm. it's like whenever i'm playing a game of guild ball i'm now 
there's a little voice in the back of my head going, oh, that's a very strong interaction. Oh, that's that's that model's not doing as well as it maybe could be, blah, 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 blah. You know, like, there's just a constant little commentary. Right. But the, the biggest problem is that I'm basically, most of the games I play now are playtest games. Sure. So I'm playing Guild Ball six months in the future. <laughs> you know, like, I'm... And you're not like, even uh, in Australia. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> I'm, I'm way ahead of Australia. They get, like, 24 hours. I've got like, from six months. <laughs> Those guys have got nothing on me. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, that's cool. That's cool. So yeah. what? What is the what? What is the chief frustration of being a being a designer? What, what's what's like the one thing that uh, you would tell somebody who is who is desperately jealous of your getting to to play with toy soldiers for a living while some of us have to write code? <laughs> um. I mean, I guess one of the things is that you are not the only person. That, like, there are times where our sort of policy is that, like, if you believe a change should happen or you believe a rule is cool, argue, like, defend your position, have arguments to back yourself up and stuff. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, if, if the majority of the design team is against you, accept that and move on. And sometimes if you've got, like, a little pet project or something, like, a really... Like a little model or something that you think is like, no, this would be really, really cool. This would be the best thing we've ever done, and no one else likes it. You just have to accept that. Yeah, and it's that's quite heartbreaking because <laughs> even if there's something that you really want to put in the game, but no one else likes it, so you just have to leave it. But then I guess to an extent you can sort of carry, take some of the ideas from that model or from that rule, mm -hmm. and try and use them on other places. Yeah. So stuff, stuff in like a lot of the rules and a lot of the models that sort of end up in Guild Ball are sort of a little bit Frankenstein's monster because they're just little they're hodgepodges from like oh well here's a cool rule that here's a cool rules idea that Matt had six months ago and here's a nice here's the stats that I thought of a month ago and here's a rule we we all came up with yesterday you know like they're all sort of there's an element, an element everything sort of pieced together like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and then obviously once a model's been play tested for three, four months it's quite often completely indistinguishable from the model it started as mm -hmm. because sometimes you start with a model and go alright this seems really cool and you play test it for a month and you go oh no this is just broken <laughs> like there's no there's no way I can see to maintain the flavour of this model that is going to be interesting and fun and not outright broken so you just <laughs> So you have to basically go in a different direction with the model, mm -hmm. um, but yeah. So basically, it's it, probably it's that the biggest frustration is just having to accept that you are not always right, and that sometimes you are going to love an idea into the ground, but no one else is going to get behind it, and you just sort of you need to accept that and move on. Um, like you need to get used to your ideas getting torn down. Like don't get don't get precious about your ideas. Right. Basically. Right. right. Um, don't ever get too defensive of an idea or whatever. It's probably the 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 most the thing you have to get used to. I think. Well, I think that's just good life advice, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it is, <laughs> but it's particularly where you could spend two weeks working on something and then come bring it back to the to the rest of the design team, and for whatever reason, maybe someone else has come up with a better idea, and you're like, oh yeah, no, that's. That's just way better than what I've been doing for the past right. week. That's fine. 
and you have to learn to just sort of let stuff go and not get not get too kind of precious about stuff all right my friend well we uh we are glad that you took the time to to stop by and uh hopefully our inside jokes did not uh did not (laughs) distract anybody so uh thanks for coming on and we will talk to you soon Thank you very much for inviting me on. It's been really cool. Anytime. Hopefully be on on again soon. Thank you very much. You bet. All right. Well, those were certainly two interviews. Uh, (laughs) You're really saying that because it's been way longer than people really thought that we've been talking about rankings and everything else. Oh, I know. We just just killed 45 minutes talking about things that we will never discuss on... On the air. <laughs> because you won't let me talk about that. I feel muzzled. Uh, I'm being repressed. You are being repressed. That's not the only thing I'm keeping you from talking about tonight. So, um... It's that other thing I'm actually being repressed over. Yes, I know. Well, I will not approve of your desire to, to discuss it. Goddamn editing button. <laughs> so... <laughs> now people are going to wonder. Perfect! <laughs> ask ask me ask me in private so uh so uh bill let's do some twitter questions before i forget what we're doing hold on i have a twitter question i need to ask oh yeah no i don't you won't let me ask it no i won't button no i have i have complete control of the podcast that should be the the big question next week people want people want to be acknowledged everybody should flood phil In two weeks with, why are you editing Bill? <laughs> it's for our own good, Bill. Trust me <laughs> on this. All right. Uh, so. <laughs> can we at least go with one of the questions I like first? Which one, which one do you like? Because I already typed the show notes. <laughs> Damn it. Okay. Pick, which, which one do you have first? Do you like the one from Sissy? my guy. All right, so uh, so the first question, as Lord Tyrant of this show, uh, uh, Siski asked us, um, when should teams be considered finished? Uh, you know, Good, that uh, was one of the questions I liked. Excellent. See, I am a giver. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm answering this one first, damn it. All right. <laughs> I will give you that much. That will be your compensation. I feel undercompensated. You and me um, both, pal. I really like his question on this. When should teams be deemed as finished? Uh, he kind of added on, you know, is is at what point is there too many captains, too many, or too many players? I think I, I, I'm going to be a little wiffly-waffly on this. I think there's going to be a point when teams feel like they are right. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think we're getting kind of close to that. Right. Right. I right. think there's definitely design space, but it almost, uh, my preference would be that the creators leave a little bit of design space to still flex around and not try to fill up all the space for each team. Sure. Cause that lets them still be adding adding models that feel like the right guild, right? Whether it be a veteran or a captain or whatever, it still feels like a fisherman, a brewer, or a, it still has that right um, play style. And, and that's not just a rule thing, but sort of how, how the abilities and new cool abilities work mm-hmm. within the team. And 
I'm not sure there's a specific there's a specific uh, number for that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, are four captains too much? I, I don't know. It could be, but if one of those captains is you know a dual a dual guild captain or you know things along those lines, then maybe not. Maybe they maybe it it still feels right and uh, and goes so far. The trick is going to be from a captain's standpoint, differentiating so that none of the captains feel like they're overlapping. Sure. sure. And, and I know there's going to be some argument now, right. About, well, there's certain captains that feel like they're close. Look at, uh, you know, look at Blackheart and, in rage. Everybody thinks, thinks Blackheart's cool, you know, better, but they still do a lot of damage and right, uh, okay. Right. I get that. But we've talked about the season two captains and how, most of them are sort of split between solos and in team augmenters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as they can stay in those spaces, maybe there's room for one or two more captains, but you don't want to go too far where they're starting to step on each other's toes. True. True. No. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly going to just take a page from your book is I agree with everything you just said. <laughs> Uh, all I'll add is that, um, I mean, we know that Steamforge is very cognizant of this question and, and they've, they've said that at this point they, they definitely see teams slowing down in in development. They don't want to take the teams too wide. They'd rather grow the number of teams than the size of the current teams. Right. And... You know, we, we have some systems in place to, to grow teams without getting too wide. I mean, there are veterans, which, of course, allows you to to grow selection overall without necessarily growing the, 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 the active player pool because they're either or choices. Uh, and to a certain extent, captains and mascots are either or choices as well. So that lets you widen without deepening. In, in to a certain effect, but yeah, I don't. It, I I would hate to see it to see a point where we say this team is done. I think you know that is kind of where where I fall in this is that I really hope there isn't a point where we say that's it for any of these teams. But we definitely have to. to we I think a lot of them are going to get to the point where one player a year is what we're looking at. You know, and that's that's fine. That's still fun. And I'm still not seeing a lot of people dedicated to a single guild. No, this I'm seeing so people, easy to, to buy another faction. Uh, that there's just and no to be way. fair, I'm not seeing many people over the three guild limit either. I still see a lot of people, even at two years in, mm-hmm. I still see a lot of people at two and three guilds. Yeah. But I see a lot of people at two guilds. Yeah, at least. I mean, most, most of the people I know are actively playing. Let's see... Byron actively plays three. Uh, Dan plays three. I think Steve's still playing one. Uh, Gabe plays two or three. Yeah, I mean, two or three does seem to be the... Uh, does seem to really be the sweet spot for most people. I think you're right. But think about this. You have a community that is arguably one of the oldest communities in the game. Absolutely. Right. I mean, it's, you're, you're right there along with most of the, most of the UK people with mm-hmm. the people in my area. And I mean, you know, when we look at the number of people that kickstarted and had communities that sprung up around the Kickstarter, 
there's only so many of them out there and the uk is all like within 17 inches of themselves so <laughs> it's like one big community maybe two yeah i mean you know the the, the scottish and the and the, and the rest well, of them you know, there's 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 the people who will walk three blocks and the people who won't i think is right right so i mean that's kind of cool to see is two years in we still have new communities growing mm-hmm. and to be able to spread out and say, I, I agree. I agree with you. It, it's it would be sad to see them say this is done. I also don't want newer players or even existing players to feel. I don't understand what the butchers do. Mm-hmm. It's okay if you don't know all the models, and there are people tournament wise that would argue you have to know every model. But it's okay if you don't know all the models. You know what the butchers do. They're gonna hurt you. Yeah. Yeah, so look enough. at their card and figure out how they're going to hurt you, right? You know what the fish are going to do. You mm-hmm. know what the alchemists are going to do. Either Midas is going to run and run around and do everything himself, or you know they'll play a game. <laughs> you know what Obulus is going to do? Win Gen Con. <laughs> you know, I was going to call this episode "No Obuluses." <laughs> Yeah, to go talk about Obulus. I'm going to pretend that didn't happen. I'm not going to edit it out just to, just to prove just, you wrong. Just make pretend. Yeah. But we're not talking about Obulus this week. <laughs> hey, Phil, what's the second question? All right. So the second question was from uh, Dave Monroe, who I have been talking to on the internet for almost 20 years. And that's, I, I shouldn't have done anything for 20 years. Um,. Who asked if alchemists are just tricky to get a hang of, or if it's just him? No, they're they're kind of one of the trickier teams to to play early, I think, because they they are they are pretty nuanced and they're pretty fragile, and that's kind of a bad combination for a for to, to start off with, right? Um. Now, but, Phil, let's yeah. let's be fair. Yeah. Right? You're telling Dave that they're pretty nuanced and pretty fragile. And he's probably pulling, I don't know, his helmet off or his <laughs> hair out or something, or he's cursing at you in Swedish because he's heard that as long as you put Midas on the table, nobody can kill him because <laughs> Midas is nigh on unkillable. And also, let's be fair, if we look at his full question, clearly what he's doing wrong with Alchemist is playing Obulus with them. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> so, but um, they are tricky, right? Yeah. I mean, you you have a team where if you play the starter box team, you have a superstar, hard to pin down captain who's very easy to screw up with. Mm-hmm. And then you have a team who can't afford for you to screw up with them at all. Mm-hmm. So... Part of the team is fragile. The rest of the team is seems like it does everything, and then you overextend and, and get into problems. And there's a certain amount, and I am by no means an expert playing with the alchemists, but I face them a lot. And there is a certain nuance you have to learn, as you were saying, with the team to really get them to lock in. But then right. once they lock in, they're freaking terrifying. Yeah, and, and they're, they are a team which more than... More than most teams uh, needs uh, to have a focused selection because you can field some utterly dysfunctional alchemist teams. I, I know because I've done it on purpose just to be funny. And let me tell you that that like Harry Mist, Mercury, uh, 
decimate or you know whatever don't, whatever don't whatever the bizarre too. team that I threw out that one night was that just got rolled over um, because I was trying to field the worst team in Gilball and so, it, it went badly. But so Phil, from a be, casual standpoint, yes, right? Because you've played Alchemist for for a long time, like right sure. from the beginning. Sure. What are the core? Like, where would you start right now? Would you put smoke on the table or would you start with Midas? If I was a new player, I uh, see, I think smoke is a harder player to learn the game with because what smoke does is not as obvious as what Midas does. I think. Um, And there is something to be said for. There's still something to be said for a team that is, you know, Midas, Vitriol, um, and then two Union players and maybe Calculus, you know, and it's. Well, and I guess that's where that's where I was going is so if you would start with Midas and, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? Start with Midas out of the starter box. Midas vitriol. Would you would you well, you might as well put uh, well, he's going to be picking up either flask or or, or Nadja. Would you put Nadja or flask in? Uh, so I, I think I would put flask only to use the cloud with uh yeah. With vitriol. With vitriol and uh, mist if you're... Yeah. And then go... Way. Now, would you go grab mist right away? Or would you try to stick all alchemists? No, I think I think that if you're going to... If you're going to learn with this team, you have to go all in on a play style. So go pick up mist. So so grab mist. And uh, then add two maybe, other players. Yeah, and then add two... You know, you got to have vitriol. Right, uh, vitriol mist. I would throw calculus in and possibly leave mercury on the table, only because so many people have said bad things about mercury, and I know he's tricky with the with the one influence. influence. But if you're bringing flask, you can get him to two, so it's it's not a it's not a dead end. Right. Uh, yeah, and and so I would just do that. I mean, I wouldn't go full Alka Union because uh, that drive it like you stole it play style. You really have to know <laughs> what you're doing. But if you're just starting out and you're just trying to learn the game, you're not playing Calculus. You're probably not playing Venom. You're probably not playing Mercury. Um, I, I don't even know if I would bring Compound just starting really? out. Really? Why wouldn't you put Calculus? In? Because I I think that I think that you want one more person running forward at the ball. Hmm. Because. Stealing the ball is how that team plays. See, I like the idea of compound, but my recommendation would be for for a new player. Yeah. I like the idea of compound in any of the teams, but my recommendation would be sit compound four inches away from the goal. And just leave him there, sure. Just, yeah, don't worry about his abilities except for rush keeper. Mm-hmm. And measure whenever somebody gets within six inches of you and charge them. Yeah. And, and, just, and then play around with that charge thing alone and use those two influence mm-hmm. on somebody charge else. Somebody else up. Yeah. It, it's a fine, it's a fine choice as well. I think that, um, I think you can't go wrong either way. I, I like having one more player running at the ball, but then I, I was always an Alka Union player. And that's, right. that's just that difference in play style again. Yeah. 
So you're either going to do that and you're going to go all in on, on, on the football team or you're going to go all in on the condition team, which I still don't know is, is sort of competition ready. Uh, I still feel like even with smoke, I still feel like they're missing a piece or a rule change or something to make conditions uh, a threat as opposed to a gimmick. I don't know. I'm, I will I'm say not a huge Alchemist, smoke fan. Yeah, Alchemist as a whole are very competitive. Yeah, but you know, he he tagged this as he's only played two games so far. Mm-hmm. So Dave's new in. I would say stick with Alchemist. The other thing I would recommend, I know that Dave has played a fair number of games with more models than this, right? I, I know he's also played some smaller skirmish games, but mm-hmm. he, he has played the, the you know, 40K fantasy. Um, oh, I can promise you he's played Blood Bowl. Blood Bowl, right. <laughs> the nice thing about, one of the nice things about Guild Bowl from a skirmish game is you're only talking about six models. So if you can focus on three, I'm not saying play with three models on the table. Field your team of six. I think you need that to see how things work, but focus on making three of them work. Right. Yeah, focus fair enough. on how those three work. You're talking about 50% of your army there. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. To put this in other terms, War Machine and Hordes, everything else, you're talking about 50% of your army there. So if you can start nailing those down, right. once you get a handle on them, then you start adding in that next player and how do they work with, the, with what you have currently. And I think it's very quick to come up to speed competitively. Yeah, and I think that that if you could if you could sort of sort out what Midas Vitriol and Calculus do as your your one two attack and your defense, yeah. you'd be a, a good a good stretch along the way to to getting better with alchemists. So maybe maybe take Bill's advice there and just uh, throw a lot of Attention and influence into those three, and uh, just keep playing. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's it'll come together. You probably wouldn't be doing well with butchers either. You know, <laughs> I mean, it, and that's not that's not like directed at Dave. That's just directed at players, right? I mean, especially as this game matures, the people you're playing against, if they're not also new, they know a lot that you don't know. You know, they, they, they probably know how to spend momentum. They probably know how to how to deal with, uh, you know, two-inch reach versus one-inch reach players. They're going to know uh, when to use teamwork. They're going to know threat ranges. And, you know, those are the things you just have to play and learn. So yes, don't abandon any team because every team in this game is totally balanced. And... Uh, you talk about using momentum as a little aside. I uh, so went down and played with a, one of the not as local communities around me recently, and uh, I've noticed right I, as I go in uh, through my travels. Uh, every time I was playing somebody who had been to some big tournaments, or uh, I considered um, a a good challenge, every time. Um, uh, why can't I think of the name of the uh, the plot card? You know, you know the one, uh, Two Flash. Yeah. Right. Every time I got Two Flash in the hand, I 
I almost always discard it when I'm playing against newer players because I know they're not going to do as much teamwork. Mm-hmm. And uh, against, you know, so I kept taking it. And then these players, I was overestimating how often they were using teamwork. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'm always like, damn it. So this group, I was like, okay, they haven't played in quite a while. I get two flash in hand. I'm like, I don't need that. And I discarded it. Biggest mistake I made. They had been practicing among themselves. Yeah. They had all come up to speed. I was like, really, guys? Really? <laughs> so now you're just going to play into my own bad opinion of your group? <laughs> so I lost both those games no. quite badly. Well, but at least you at least you, uh, you were an excellent uh, ambassador for the game. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I told them all they were shit. No, no, actually. Uh, no, I, it's, there's some good friends. I also lost because I was playing Hunters and have yet to figure out my proper yeah, activation yeah. order. I haven't finished painting them yet, so I haven't played them at all. So, well, my, no, Mine looked very pretty, and I painted them myself. So I can you. play with the, I'm playing with my own painted models yeah. I painted myself, and Phil says I can. Yeah, maybe we should put that on a button. Uh, that's a lot of room on a butt. So hopefully we haven't confused Dave. No, no, Dave stopped listening when I started talking. Oh, okay, good. You know. (laughs) So, uh, so what do we got next? All right. So next and last for tonight, we've got a question from a longtime writer, uh, Lee Perry, who asked us uh, if any teams should be benched in season three. Now, I'm not exactly sure what connotation of benched he means here. I think what he means is should a team sort of be should be removed from competitive play just maybe on a rotating basis or something but he could also he could also be saying it uh you know potentially maybe just not developed you know given a given a pass on on new stuff and I really think that in either case the answer you know has to be no and uh for for different reasons, but I think that for the the first interpretation, the the the, the sort of ban list approach. Uh, first off, you know, if the game is as balanced as we think it is, there would be no reason to do it other than flavor. But what I think is the most important thing here is you never want to tell somebody they can't play with their toys. Yeah, right? Why why would you take something out of rotation? I, I think that some people have have speculated that maybe that you know if a team wins too much it needs to be uh, you know sort of set aside but you know we see the numbers no team is really winning too much yeah and Everybody's I don't doing I don't okay. know like I, I don't understand that thought process I, I you know I, I, I think maybe because you know some card games will do things like that or have limited uh, okay. availability. But I think that, that Guild Ball is not that game, right? Like, Guild Ball has such a balanced but, design but think, brief. They're not yeah, trying to... Yeah, I think that's to... such a great... That's a great example, right? So when you talk about, like, let's say, Magic the Gathering, which has a banned list and will take cards out. Mm-hmm. Magic the Gathering prints hundreds of cards every three to four months right right and they're bound okay. to make mistakes if never mind look even if they were 100 percent perfect and certain things start winning too much so you take it out of rotation they're not taking one of 118 or one of 64 out of rotation mm-hmm. 
They're taking one of 300, or in that case, let's look at what they actually do, one of 1,000 out of rotation. Yeah, probably right? 10,000 at this point. Right, I mean, depending on how, I don't remember how big they're, you know, how many sets they go back and forward, but, yeah. but in miniature games, you're talking about such different numbers that it just doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... You know, one thing we know about Guild Ball is that they would rather change than uh, they would they would rather make changes than make exclusions, and I right. think that that's going to be maintained. Because I mean, you know, I think that the uh, again, it's not it's not necessarily in anybody's interest, including people who are trying to sell miniatures to take your toys away. Um, <laughs> You know, I mean, the argument, the, the sort of tinfoil hat argument can be made that something like a, a ban list for Guild Ball would sell more miniatures because some people would have to go out and buy another team. But I think that there might be, you might lose players rather than sell teams, right? I agree. So, so yeah, so ultimately, I think it's an interesting discussion, but not a good idea. Does that make sense? <laughs> like, like, what, if we were going to talk about doing doing some kind of banning or some sort of blacklisting, what would that criteria be? Would we want to be taking out players that were overrepresented? Would we be wanting to... Well, we would clearly start with Union. (laughs) And then we would move on to Morticians, just the captain. (laughs) Whose name shall not be mentioned. Whose name shall not be mentioned. Then we will piss off Rivero by taking Midas out completely. (laughs) But only because it would piss off Rivera. Right, right, right. And I, I would have to, I'd have to be, uh, I'd have to be like out on the ledge talking him in. Right. Um, then we would have to add Gutter back in, but only for a week, <laughs> and then we would ban her again, just so okay. that I would have something to rant about. Right, right, right. And somewhere, somewhere <laughs> in there, you'd, you'd probably nerf her. Well, come on, of course. <laughs> um, we we at some point we would have to we would have to bench Harry just to make everybody scratch their head and go what did I miss Harry is secret tech man <laughs> people don't realize what they're missing okay so so explain to me what your thought is around this other side just not developing for <laughs> come on now you presented two scenarios no I'm I'm, I'm still laughing at Harry. Um, <laughs> Well, no, I mean, I think you, that you and could, everybody else, Phil, yeah. you and everybody else. I love, I love that model, though. I love that model. I, I have very high hopes for Harry's future. So we uh, so the other the other side of that was the, the idea that maybe they would just be uh, left off the development list. Right. So you could take a team that maybe you thought was was well realized or a team that um a, a team that you didn't want to to expand into new areas or just a randomly selected team or two or three and just not add to them now we may see that happen but i find it hard to believe that that would be intentionally planned for right right and i right? don't really I, know what the the benefit of that is necessarily other than uh maybe keeping model counts in, well, under control. I mean, but I got to imagine at some point, I, the only way I can see that happening is, is at some point there's going to be so many guilds out there that you're only going to be able to, to realistically 
dedicate developers to creating so much within a season, right? Within a year period or whatever. True. Um, so do you then say, you know, that, and that's that growth that, you know, you, you want to have this problem where you're growing so fast that you're able to put out all these models that manufacturing is able to keep up with everything, but you haven't caught up with having enough designers to say you're the you're the b's you're the a's right you develop for the a teams right, and right, right. um well i know, guess you... i guess the one thing that no go ahead i'll, I'll come back to my point yeah well I I, so i could see i could see that where just some at some point there's teams that just won't get a that won't get a boost during that year, but I can't see ever saying we will, we're, we're benching the, the butchers this right, year. Right, we right. will nobody, anybody that has cool ideas. Don't talk to me for 12 bucks. <laughs> if well, you have a cool butcher's idea, rethink it for somebody else. <laughs> There's no cool butcher's ideas. They're just hitting people. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think that the argument that could actually be made for, for leaving teams static is actually the, the known factor argument from a playtesting standpoint. And that's that at a certain point, you're not going to be able to realistically playtest every new combination. Yeah. Right. Like if every team is constantly getting one or two players every year, how do you test that variability? So if you wanted to, uh, if you wanted to leave a certain number of teams intact, through either all of a design cycle or maybe like the first half of a design cycle, just so that there would be sort of a control group to play test against. Maybe that would be a, a realistic argument for leapfrogging team development where you've got maybe like one set of teams that gets a, a fall release and one set of team that gets a spring release or alternate years or something like that. That seems rational. Okay, I could see that, <laughs> but I don't think we're there yet. We still, I, I we still don't, don't think we're anywhere teams. close to it. Yeah, yeah, and you know they they can they can do a lot of playtesting, given uh you know our uh, technology and and such at this point. So, <laughs> what was the intro to the Six Million Dollar Man? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I didn't watch it. We were watching the Love Boat. Uh, they can build it. <laughs> You know, I actually feel like I should I should uh, defend this this question away. You know, we a lot of times on, on on the Twitter question segments, I will I will pick out a question like this where Bill and I will both end up being sort of against the the premise of the question that's asked, and sometimes I feel kind of guilty about that, like that the uh, the, the you know we're, we're 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 knocking down the suggestion of the of the the questioner or that we're coming out against it and really uh in most cases these are my favorite questions that we got that week because it's it's an opportunity to have a to have a discussion about something that probably wouldn't have come up in the in the normal flow of conversation or or a, a concept that that's sort of outside of what uh, what we end up talking about when we, we kind of stay in the envelope of of what's in the game. So actually, 
I really like these questions a lot. And just because uh, we say no <laughs> doesn't mean that uh, they were bad questions. In fact, I think that, you know, this question and questions like it are specifically good questions. And it really makes you, uh, it gives you an opportunity to really think about the game in in new directions and new ways. And it gives you, uh, you know, so, some material to, to chew on and to, to listen to and to talk about that you wouldn't otherwise get. So, yeah, definitely... Definitely don't uh, don't think that we dislike getting questions like this because the fact of the matter is that, like I said, a lot of times this this would be my favorite question of the week. So thanks for asking it, Lee, and we do appreciate it, and we appreciate you because we appreciate all things. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, so that's that's Twitter questions for tonight. I think that's I think that's probably where we will. It's probably where we will stop, although we certainly, as always, have other questions. I just didn't write them down. And uh, I, uh, I'm i also looking at the clock, and it is it is pumpkin time. So, Alex gets his high oh. when he shows up at the fall brawl. <laughs> Fair enough. Have I mentioned the fall brawl to anybody yet? Uh, you mentioned it a about 45 minutes ago. Okay, then it has been in a proper amount of time. <laughs> so you're going to mention it again. <laughs> so, uh, you know, October 15th. Yeah. Uh, people should come by the Fall Brawl because, uh, you know, largest U.S. tournament. Uh, just to uh, just think about it this way. You make Tate and all those Lexington guys upset if we end up, if it ends up being the largest. <laughs> Fair. And that that is indeed reason enough to uh to do anything that would that would annoy <laughs> as a matter of fact show i will sign tate's name to anybody's tater that wants it <laughs> yep all right so uh moving on we uh oh yeah we we don't have anything left i'm we're done ready for bed all right so uh <laughs> thanks for bye. listening uh we do appreciate it no matter what bill says and uh it's painful sir painful <laughs> no if anything you are the one who remembers to uh who remembers to think our audience far some, more than some, i do some of them like me phil uh, none of them like me so we got that going for us so uh <laughs> i'm gonna get myself in so much trouble bye-bye now bye-bye everybody <laughs> Oh, I get dumb after 11. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Like 11 o'clock runs around and I just get stupid. All right. I should probably stop recording. Knees up. Watch the knives. To join the conversation, comment on the show post at guildballtonight.com or email us at guildballtonight at gmail.com. Phil can also be heard on the Game Punting Podcast. Bill can also be heard on the Gamers Lounge podcast. Check them out on iTunes. Also, feel free to give us five stars on iTunes. Every little bit helps. But when you do, don't write a review of the show. No. Instead, just tell everybody why you love Flint so very much. Guild Ball is property of Steamforged Games Limited. 
The views and opinions expressed by the host and guests are their own and do not represent the official position of Steamforge Games, Yo-Yo Dine Propulsion Systems, Aperture Laboratories, or even the other hosts and guests. Dogs barking can't fly without umbrella. It is time once again for another installment of Ox's Poetry Corner. You said calculus, but I think it's safe to say you meant catalyst. Is Tilted Kilt an authentic Scottish restaurant? No, not even a little bit. <laughs> they they had an entire wall dedicated to the pokes. <laughs> like, that's a different landmass. <laughs> well, so, you know, it's it's hard for us to tell the difference. Is it? Do you not have Maps or or Google? <laughs> We're two very different countries. Uh, very- honestly, I don't think people are going there for the geography. <laughs> <laughs>